You have so much wealth. If you don't believe me, open your garage door. We have more than we could ever possibly need. We go to garage sales. We, we go to the places where people have got the sense to put it on the driveway trying to sell it. And what do we do? We don't need any more, but we go and buy more stuff. But the very thing that we are actually needing is the presence of God in our lives. In the middle of all our wealth, do we know that? Are we going to admit that that's what we need? Over the next uh, few weeks, two, maybe three weeks, um, I want us to look at a story that, that crops up in 2 Samuel. It's a story of a person called David, who's a king, who's a famous king. Anybody who spent any time around church, Sunday school, stuff like that, will have heard stories about King David. Now, King David was quite the guy, actually. Um, He's this handsome youth that's described when he first appears in the Bible. He's brave, he fights a giant, he wins, um, he's a national hero, he's also a skilled musician, a poet, a songwriter, a man of wisdom. He has songs written about him. It, he has his own cheerleading section, basically. All the people in his kingdom love him. He's best friends with the king's son and marries the king's daughter. So marries a princess. So he marries into the family line. He then resolves every issue that he has with the previous king and becomes the king of the whole nation, unifying what used to be a fractured nation. He pulls it all together under one kingdom. Then he recaptures on behalf of that one kingdom the, the capital city of Jerusalem for that kingdom and defeats his historic rival enemies who are the Philistines. Defeats them all. Um, and yet, in the middle of all of that, there is something missing. And when you listen to that resume of, of accomplishments and what he's done, you think, what could possibly be missing uh, from somebody like that? Well, there's this box, you see. Um, no, it's not just any box. If you've seen Indiana Jones um, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, ages and ages old film, like 30 years old maybe, um, they're chasing this very, very ornate, precious box. Now that's the box that I'm talking about. It's about 45 inches long by 25 wide by 25 deep. So it's not a huge box but it represents an incredible amount of things to David and to the people in his nation. Now, in Exodus chapter 25, you get this 
explanation of this box being built and the explanation is why David wants this box because this box is called the Ark of the Covenant and it represents, literally represents for him and for their nation and for their people group, it represents the very presence of God with them on earth because the way that the box is set up there's these two looking like angels on either side they're called cherubim which is a very strange name but God his glory of God used to shine on the top of this box so it was a physical representation of the presence of God with his people on earth and that's why David wanted it. He had all the palaces, he had all the harems, he had all the victory battles, he was the songwriter, all of the things. He had the good looks, he had the great body. If you've seen um, uh, Michelangelo's statue of David, he's got this great statuesque body and all that stuff. And, and so, but he wants this presence of God. It's incredible presence of God, that's what he wants. And it's represented by this box. Now, I want to read you from 2 Samuel, so 2 Samuel, chapter 6 and verse 1 to 5-ish, we'll do 6, 7 and 8 as well, um, how he goes about getting this box. Now, I want you to listen to this, because it's quite the thing. So, right, after all these victories and all the stuff that David has, this is what he wants. Then David gathered all the elite troops, about 30,000 of them in all. He led them to Baal of Judah to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the, on the top, between the angels. See, I'm not lying, I'm not making any of this up. They placed the Ark of God on a new car and brought it from Abinadad's house, which is on a hill, Uzzah and Ohio, Ohio, not Ohio, the state in, this, in the United US, but Ohio, Abinadad's sons were guiding the car as it left the house, carrying the Ark of God. Ohio walked in front of the Ark. David and all the people of Israel celebrated before the Lord, singing songs, playing all types of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets and cymbals. So they're having a big old dance party here. But, oh no. See, things are going so well, right? And you know, when things are going so well, there's going to be a but at some point, because that's how the story builds. That's how these writers used to do that. But, verse 6, but, as they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the ox stumbled and Uzzah stretched out his hand to steady the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the Ark of God. Now, can you imagine that? In the middle of all this celebration, in the middle of everything going right, the ox stumbles and all this guy does is stick out his hand to steady the Ark, to stop it falling off the cart, and he dies because of it. Like, it's, it's like the, it's like the bride dropping groom in the dropping dead in the middle of the ceremony at her own wedding. It's it's like a real dampener on the celebration, like the whole thing's going pear-shaped at this point. And it says this as we keep reading. 
David was angry because of the Lord's anger, because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah and he named the place Perez Uzzah, which means, which means to burst out against Uzzah. Like, all he did, it seems, all he did was reach out to try and do his best and he dies because of it. David's angry. I don't blame him. And if you read this story, go, grab your Bible, read it for yourself. I'm not making any of this up. David is angry. And I would be too. Because it appears, it appears on first reading of this story that this guy hasn't done anything wrong. And that's why it's going to take us a couple of weeks more to have a look at this story in depth. But it's an incredible story because all David wants is the presence of God with him. And this guy ends up being a corpse right next to the ark. This box that represents the physical presence of God with his people in the middle of this celebration. It just all goes horribly, horribly wrong. And then this is what David goes on to say. In verse nine, now David was afraid of the Lord. <laughs> Who wouldn't be? I mean, come on, like, like really God, if you're trying to win friends and influence people, killing the people who are trying to help is clearly not the way to do it. All right, so David was now afraid of the Lord and asked, how can I ever bring back the presence of the Lord back into my care? How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? How can I do it? And so he decided not to go any further with it. And we'll read this later. Instead, he took it to the house of a man called Obed-Edom. I love that name, Obed-Edom. It's a great name. Uh, and the Ark of the Lord remained at Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed the whole house of Obed-Edom during that time. David says to himself, how can I possibly get the presence of God back with us if this is going to happen when I try? How do I do it? That's a great question. Now, I'm going to jump with me here. Not, not jump into there, although it looks really inviting. Um, I want you to make a massive leap and a jump with me at the moment. Because you've got to remember that right here in this story, we have somebody who's trying to bring the physical presence of God back to his nation. Even though he has everything that he has, he realizes that's the one thing that's lacking. I want to bring the physical presence of God, the manifestation, the presence of God Most High back to my nation. That's what he wants to do. Now I want you to jump with me way forward from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to the book of John. And this is what it says in the book of John. And I, and I want to read this to you. John chapter one and verse 14. So the word of God, God himself, became a human being, made his presence, his home among us. 
he was full of love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of God the Father. God's one and only Son. Now I mean to contrast what we just read about happening to Uzzah with this, with this statement from John. And you might think, well, what's that going to do with it? The Word of God became flesh. The physical presence of God ends up on earth again, this time not on a box, this time in a human being, wrapped in human form. Now, the human being doesn't become God. Very, very important to understand that. God steps into a human being's form and walks among human beings, the people he's created. That's what he does. The physical presence of God on earth, again, only not in a box, in a human body. Now, last time somebody touched the physical presence of God, they died. This time, you contrast that with Jesus being touched by unclean people and them not dying, but them being healed. People who, who have no business being in the presence of God reach out and touch him. Not only that, but Jesus himself reaches out and touches lepers, the uncleanest of the unclean people. He eats with Gentiles and people who are described as despicable sinners, disreputable sinners. And they don't die, but he welcomes them into his presence. And this is an incredible thought because last time we read about somebody touching the presence of God, they died. It's a stark contrast here. You've got, you've got children who are running up to Jesus and his disciples are trying to stop them getting to him. Why? Because they're probably using Jesus like a climbing frame. They're running around. I don't know if you've noticed, but kids do not want to be around boring people. They've generally got a favorite auntie and uncle. They've generally got a, I don't know if I dare say it, they've, they've generally got a favorite parent. Don't know if you're allowed to say that out loud or not. But they've generally got people that they love hanging around with. And those people generally are not boring people. And when kids are around them, when kids wanted to be around Jesus, and so much so that his disciples were trying to get them away. And all the time, Jesus is saying, no, 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 let them come to me because the kingdom of God belongs to people who want to be around me. The kingdom of God belongs to people who come to me like a child. This thing, this, this presence of God, that King David, this incredible king, was trying to bring to his nation, suddenly walks amongst human beings and is touched by human beings and they don't die. Now, what's going on? Is, is, is this even the same God? Or is, he, is it the same God, but in the, in the intertestamal, 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, has, has God suddenly had a change of mood? Has he had a change of heart that now he wants to be nice instead of fearsome? Like, like what's going on? Well, maybe. Maybe. It's just that the human race has had 
by this time in the story, a few thousand years, to figure out that they cannot reach God's standards on their own. That they cannot, through their whole own human efforts, bring the presence of God themselves into their own lives. And so, God does it for us in John chapter 1. Does it in Mark, does it in Luke, does it in Matthew, the incredible nativity stories. God becomes flesh and walks among men, and human beings don't die. He walks among human beings. And, and now rather than us striving to bring his presence to us, he brings himself to the human race. He steps down out of eternity and out of heaven, out of the untouchable, unreachable heavenly heights and walks on the earth amongst his own creation and amongst the people on this earth and we do not die. He walks with us here and he invites us into his presence and he brings his presence with him to our dwelling place, to the place where we live. You see, when I read that description of David, good looking, lots of wealth, massive palace, got everything going on, he's a singer, songwriter, poet, wealthy guy, got everything that really in, in life he needs, except one thing is missing. That, that pretty much describes anybody in the first world. We have so much wealth, we don't know what to do with it. If you don't believe me, open your garage door, look inside. If you can get your car in there, if you could squeeze it in next to all the stuff that we've accumulated, we have more than we could ever possibly need in the first world. We go to garage sales, we, we, we go to the places where people have got the sense to put it on the driveway trying to sell it. And what do we do? We don't need any more, but we go and buy more stuff. But the very thing that we are actually needing is the presence of God in our lives. That's what we need. In the middle of all of David's wealth, he knew that. In the middle of all our wealth, do we know that? That that's the one thing that we desperately need is the living presence of God in our lives. Are, are we going to admit that that's what we need? And we even need the Spirit of God's help to even get us to a place that we can admit that. Now, now listen, he came to us so that we could come to him. He came to us because we could not reach him. He came to us so that we in turn could come to him and experience the living presence of God in our lives. Now we haven't finished by any means with this story. 
because there's loads of stuff. It's, it's a short story, it's only a few verses, like eight or ten verses. But there's so much crammed into it, it's like a... I was talking to somebody at lunch today, and I said it's like a multivitamin for a year, packed into a few verses. There's so much good stuff in these few verses. And I want us to look at it over the next few weeks. But, do we admit, can we admit, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, can we admit that we need the presence of God in our lives? I hope and pray that we can. And I also hope and pray that we understand we cannot achieve that by our own human efforts. He has to do it for us. Hey, bless you. Have a great week and stay safe. Ask God to fill you with his presence that he alone can bring. Dear God, our hearts are broken for this world. The hatred is palpable, the division undeniable, and the pain runs deep. We desperately need more of you. We ask for your truth to be louder than the noise which surrounds us. For your mercy to be stronger than the voices of oppression. For your strength to overpower those who seek to do harm. Where there is division, bring unity. Where there is anger, bring peace. Where there is evil, bring victory. Empower us to fulfill your mission to answer your calling, to be the light you've created us to be. May your love, your grace, and your mercy flood this world. We love you, we seek you. We place our hope in the mighty name of Jesus. This we pray. Yeah.
Tschüss.